From the Department of Theater and Film at the University of Mississippi, this is Stage and Screen. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stage and Screen. I'm your host, Katherine Stewart, and my guest today is faculty member Rory Ledbetter. Rory is Associate Professor of Voice and Acting, and he is the director of Legally Blonde, the musical, which we will be presenting October 29th through 31st in the Gertrude C. Ford Center for the Performing Arts. This is a super fun show, and we had a super fun conversation, especially towards the end when Rory and I kind of lost the plot and just started chit-chatting. We had a lot of laughs, and I think you will too. So without further ado, here's Rory. Hi, Rory. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about Legally Blonde today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Excellent, of course. Okay, so for starters, just if there's anyone out there listening who is not familiar with Legally Blonde, could you kind of tell us a little bit about the show? Sure. Um, so Legally Blonde, the musical, is of course a musical, and it's based off of the movie from, I want to say 2004 or early early aughts, I'm pretty sure is when it came out. And uh, that movie, of course, starred Reese Witherspoon, and it's about her um, following a man, her love for a man that has kind of rejected her to Harvard Law School to try to win him back. And along the way, while she's there, she actually kind of embraces her own brilliance and her own style of argumentation, um, in a way, kicks that guy to the curb, so to speak, like doesn't really want to be with him anyway, Warner is his name, falls in love in the movie with kind of a, a research assistant from the main professor, uh, that she, main law professor she has. She falls in love with him. She is able to defend a sorority sister in a case and wins the case. Ho hopefully that's not too much of a spoiler. Um, but so anyway, so this musical is based off of that film. Uh, there are some, in my opinion, the musical is a lot more of a fuller experience than the movie is. Uh, and maybe it's just because I'm partial uh, <laughs> because I'm directing it right now. But uh, there's a lot more life. Um, the sorority sisters have a higher, have a much bigger presence in the musical, where in the movie there is, they, they don't even play really side characters. They're just kind of in the background. They're not really that supportive. Uh, one of the things that happens in the movie that doesn't in the musical is in the movie, you find out that one of her sorority sisters is now engaged and that's what she wanted. And so in a way it's, it's kind of a bittersweet moment there, but that doesn't exist in the musical. And I think the musical is a lot cleaner because it doesn't have some of those things. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, so you came into the show in kind of an unusual way. You inherited it um, when the original director moved to another state. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how, if at all, has coming into a process that like concept and design wise was sort of already underway changed your thinking about directing? That is, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, especially if, if people are listening and they don't quite, know the full scope of like what a director does before you know the play takes place is that usually when you have a play uh in front of you the director is responsible for the entire conceptual world um they the director will work together with all the designers and theoretically the actors once they're involved uh in making sure everything's unified 
uh, the scenic designer might have really strong ideas, costume designer might have really strong ideas, and the director's job is really to try to kind of rein them all in so that everything is cohesive. Mm-hmm. You know, I often, uh, when, I, when I talk to people about directing, I like to use the analogy of a goalie in soccer or uh, you know, European football. <laughs> and uh, where if the team loses, it's usually because a goal was scored by the other team and the goalie didn't block it, hmm. right? And so if the team loses, it's very easy to maybe blame the goalie, blame the defense, but it's like the goalie's in focus. But if the team wins, it's very rare that the goalie ever gets credit for all the block shots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's usually the person that scored the goal that is remembered and celebrated uh, for that win. And so, I, and so I think of directing as if the audience watches a show and it never wants, want, the design never really stands out from the others. Like the costume never really screams out of the scenic design. You know, the style of the show seems very congruent with the design and all the design pieces seem congruent with one another. Then I think the director has done their job. You know, okay. the strikers win the game. You know, every, oh, those actors were amazing, you know, and, and, and everything like that. But if at any moment, then things don't seem right. It seems like the costume doesn't blend with the lights or the sound or the scenic design or the acting style. Then, then for me, that's the director was the one that is at fault. They're the goalie that allowed the goal um, because they had the final say and approval of making sure that everything was unified and really came together. Wow. Yeah. It's a great analogy. Sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thanks. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so well, coming into so coming into this, so usually in in theater you have a concept meeting where the director talks about conceptually where the show where they probably want the show to go. The designers also might have conceptual ideas which might collaboratively influence one another, and then you have a research meeting where the direct the designers all respond from that initial meeting bring in research, this is where I'm thinking about going, this is what things I'm thinking about. And then you have a first design, which is your first meeting where you actually get a sense of seeing like, oh, this is what the set really might actually look like. This is what the costumes might look like, lights might look like. Director gives feedback, then you have a second design, more feedback is given, things get priced out by the people that are responsible for budgeting and and building things. And then you have a final design, which ideally at the end of the final design, the director signs off on the designs and saying, I approve these, I approve these, let's move forward, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when I I jumped into the directing of this, they were coming up on the final design. So so all the decision-making of the concept, the approach, um, so much of it had already been done. And, And so instead of, as a director, looking at a show and thinking this is how it speaks to me this is how i kind of see this unfolding in the world we're in i had to look at all the notes from from micah shane the previous director and try Mm -hmm. to put try to step inside his shoes and his mindset of what was his concept what did he see how can i run with where he is and just try to kind of allow my own individual spirit to still influence things Mm-hmm. but to kind of maintain the integrity of what the team had already created. Wow. Yeah. And so, so, so that was challenging uh, and, and inspiring and invigorating and exciting, you know, all at the same time. 
so there were some tweaks and some things that I was able to add into the process. Um, the designers were very gracious and very open, mm -hmm. you know, and saying like, here's where we are. What are your thoughts on this? And I was able to kind of help pinpoint, like, for example, in the scenic design, there was a balcony and I didn't see any, any way that we were, that I might stage anything in the balcony. Like there was a balcony, it was like a second tier in the Barbie doll dream house idea, which is the design, mm -hmm. which I'll talk about in a minute too. Yeah. Um, but uh, I didn't see any need to stage anything up there. This is such a big show and everything just kind of moves and needs to move seamlessly that the idea of getting somebody up on a balcony meant that they would not be available before that moment and wouldn't be available after that moment directly. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what, let's scrap that. Let's save the money that it would cost to build that. Let's see, you know, how we do that elsewhere. So, um, so Cody's design didn't change. He's a scenic designer, Cody, Cody Stockstill. Um, his design is still his design. Like the design I came into, it's still the exact same world, mm -hmm. right? But there are changes that have been made that I was able to influence, but the core concept never changed. It was just more of like the logistics of how things got implemented uh, that were able to change. So yeah, so you talked about keeping um, keeping this, the overall kind of style and theme of the show unified. What is what is the style of the show, and, <laughs> and what are some of the themes that you're highlighting with that style? Yeah. So um, so conceptually, we are in a Barbie doll dream house. <laughs> Right. And so um, what's really cool is the set design looks like a Barbie doll dream house down to the the um, the glaze. That's what it is. The glaze that's on the set gives it a little bit of a plastic sheen, you know, um, but yet we're celebrating kind of a three dimensional approach. Right. So it's very easy to have stereotypes with Barbie. Think of Barbie and everything associated with Barbie as two dimensional. But this show is all about how things are three-dimensional. You know, this is about to thine own self be true, which is a Shakespeare quote at the end of the film. Uh, and it's about Elle really learning to how to embrace who she is. Mm -hmm. You know, this is her spin. This is who she is. She is an intelligent, powerful woman, and she can embrace that, right? She doesn't have to be somebody's wife. She doesn't mm -hmm. have to be, you know, no matter what that kind of dream uh, honeymoon, dream wedding, all that stuff might look like, she can forge her own path. She can kind of trust her own instincts. And it doesn't matter what it, how anybody views her or what anybody thinks of her. If she believes in herself, she can use her innate talents. You know? So to me, that's the driving force of the play. Mm -hmm. It's all about, it's about kind of how you embrace yourself and how you find yourself, um, utilize yourself too. So, so we're in a Barbie dream world. That's kind of our world. The costumes also reflect that a little bit. Um, the palette has a lot of pinks and turquoises. Uh, the pink is actually the official Barbie pink. Oh, wow. Which I didn't even know was a thing. <laughs> yeah, Cody found that uh, in his research, which was cool. <laughs> uh, and so to me, it is, a, it is a larger than life show. What that Barbie dream world idea kind of how it informs me from a directing perspective is that this is not exactly realism. Mm -hmm. We are in a heightened world. We're in a world um, where gestures are bigger. Now in a musical, that's usually the way, can often be the way anyway. Um, but the way I'm approaching this is that 
it's not a cartoon, but there's a slight exaggeration of reality happening here where the gestures might be a little bigger. Uh, there might be movements, which might not be how somebody naturally responds in a realistic environment where they're trying to save face, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. so, so in the in the blocking and then um, Nicole as the choreographer, I think really jumped into this full steam and really with her choreography has made this a very lively, exciting, full world. Uh, and so now my my journey is really just trying to make sure the rest of the show matches her choreography. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, especially because like musicals have these moments of really high, big, energetic numbers, and then these smaller numbers, you know, that give the actors, but also the audience an opportunity to take a, a bit of a rest, to process a little more before they get so excited by another big number. Um, and so one of the challenges I'm finding from a directing standpoint is even in these smaller numbers, how do we make sure the energy stays buoyant, right? How do we make sure that we're still in this world where this other choreography exists? So the choreography doesn't just come out of nowhere seemingly, but it seems like it's just a natural progression of where we've been in the other scenes. And what are some of the ways uh, to keep things buoyant? That is a great question. So, so one of the things is, um, is kind of the state of aliveness and liveliness in the actor's bodies, right? Uh, oftentimes when energy starts getting depleted from an actor, one of two things often is happening. Well, one of three things is usually happening, right? One is their mind is not present <laughs> in the moment. Two, uh, physically, they're kind of dropping out of their body. Mm -hmm. right yeah. and so the energy kind of sinks into the floor or three they're just extremely silent right so so the kind of three things are one to be very present on stage trying to make sure you know the actors are very much giving focus where focus needs to be keeping their their focus engaged another one is keeping them alive in their bodies so that their bodies are constantly making alive filled up choices so um it doesn't mean that they're standing straight all the time, but there might be a lunge involved or there might be a pivot shift into their hips so that everything um, has, has a sense of bigness to it at times. And then other times is moments where there might be a little too much silence at times in the book scenes, the scenes where there's just dialogue of adding a little actor sound before they have a line to help cover um, a, a handing off of a prop or something hmm. like that. Yeah. Cool. So um, this will be our first time back on stage in a theater since February of 2020. Um, also a show that you directed. <laughs> um, that was Boeing Boeing last year. Um, what's the energy like during rehearsals? I imagine the students are pretty excited. Students are stoked. Uh, <laughs> students are, are thrilled and just really excited. Um, you know, it's complex at the same time uh, because um, there is some concern about not wanting to all of a sudden miss a performance because they might get COVID, especially if they feel they're vaccinated and taking all the precautions. We're wearing masks in rehearsal so that between vaccinations and masks, that helps curtail um, a, lot, a lot of COVID, right? Um, we have a really robust understudy system right now, um, which was intentional. 
so that we want to be prepared to handle any anything that gets thrown out our way in regards to actors falling ill, actors needing a break for whatever reason. Uh, and so we, we have that in place. So with that robust understudy system, it adds an extra level of excitement in the rehearsal room because we have about 40, 40 actors between, I think 26, I wanna say it's like 24 to 26 roles, actors in the show, and then the rest of that are understudies that are involved. Wow. Yeah. So, so you actually just answered my next question, which was going to be about how big this production is and how many people are involved and we're doing it in the Ford Center, which is our biggest space. And I was going to ask, what has it been like with all the safety precautions you have to take for COVID? So you've already answered that. <laughs> Way to go. Um, yeah, I, I will say this kind of um, inspired from that last question you asked. So it's kind of wild when I think about that I directed a show that was the last live show we did here. <laughs> and now I'm directing the first live show we're potentially doing back here. Um, what's kind of cool is I think this is a great show to bring live performance back to. Mm -hmm. This show in a big way is a celebration of life and it is fun. Uh, I think the audience will definitely get one or two songs stuck in their head, you know, um, even by intermission. Uh, definitely by the end of the show. And so to kind of be for the audience members to come back into live performance, I think this is going to be a celebration of life. And I imagine it's going to be really inspiring for a lot of people. Wonderful. Yeah, that, that was actually my next question. <laughs> you are nailing this. <laughs> You're like psychic or something. Yeah, I was going to ask, what do you think audiences will enjoy and what do you hope the takeaways are? <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, one of the things that's really fascinating about this script, and it does feel a little dated to me, even though it's only mm -hmm. about, I want to say it's like 10, 11 years old, maybe 12. Um, but in the same idea that Elle is blonde, and they kind of play on this idea of, oh, blondes are dumb, but Elle is not a dumb blonde, mm -hmm. right? Elle is a smart blonde, don't judge a book by its cover. But yet throughout the show, different characters in a way are stereotypes, mm -hmm. right? There is um, this really great song called Harvard, Var Harvard Variations. And it's about three uh, students that have been accepted into Harvard and they each have their own solo. And they're kind of stereotypes of what you would think of people that might get into Harvard Law, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so there are all these stereotypes throughout it, but L is in a way, really the only one that breaks through that stereotype. So I think they're there as a bit of a foil, but at the same time, it reads as a little dated to me at times. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Why did I bring all that up? I don't know, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, uh, what, what will audiences enjoy, which you already answered, and what do you hope the takeaways are? So I think oh, okay. it's probably okay, yeah. to that. So, yeah. so I don't know how much those stereotypes I mentioned, I don't know how much they'll land to the average audience member. Mm -hmm. um, anybody who's listening to this podcast will probably go in looking for them now, right? <laughs> they listen to this podcast before they see it. Um, <laughs> yeah, what I hope the audience takes away we kind of already addressed, but mm -hmm. this idea of a celebration of life. Yeah. Like, wow, to be with others again, to be able to enjoy 
song and dance and storytelling again in the same room. And, and I'm hoping that because this show really is, I mean, I think there might be some, some touching emotional moments. There might be, I think certain audience members might respond in different ways, but I think by the end of it, it really is just the sense of joy that I'm mm -hmm. hoping the audience gets out of this. Um, and as a result, I, I'm thinking the past pandemic year and a half where things have been through Zoom. We have tried to connect, you know, we haven't had a whole lot of face-to-face uh, -face interactions without mm -hmm. masks or without trying to do an electronic medium. You know, we've spent a lot more time indoors, a lot more time with family and family units. And mm -hmm. this idea of coming out more into a collective community, um, I think letting it be a celebration of joy that we're doing it in is um, I think a very, I keep saying life affirming, but I think it's going to be a very life affirming, community affirming, human affirming moment. Wonderful. It's what everybody needs right now. It's what everybody's craving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know I, I still am. Like I'm in rehearsal, but I still craving yeah. all that, you know, yeah. communal uh, camaraderie. One other thing I was going to say too is there is a lot of comedy in this show. Mm -hmm a whole lot of comedy. There are some sweeter moments some sadder moments, but there's a ton of comedy. Uh, and I think, I think that's something the audience will appreciate and the audience will get tickled at quite a bit. Yeah, that's what we want, yeah. singing and laughing. Singing and laughing, <laughs> singing and laughing, singing, dancing, laughing, everything. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Rory. Yeah, my yeah. pleasure. Yeah, this is fun to talk about. Is there a lightning round? Is there, did you think of a question for a lightning round? There's not a lightning round. I haven't come okay. up with one yet. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite, my favorite word is snickerdoodle. Yeah, what's your favorite non-swear word? My favorite non-swear word, it's funny because I keep wanting to say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, <laughs> but I think that's just a habit from, from a running joke in middle school. Um, my favorite non-swear word is puppy. Yeah. How delightful. Yeah, and that a fun word. <laughs> What's yours? Uh, my favorite word is intrinsic. Oh, I like that. Mm, I like that. Z I like the z of that, the intrinsic. It feels good to say. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a cool word. Luscious uh, is, has always been another favorite of mine. Luscious, just the way that is. Yeah. Yeah. I like, in line with that, I like the word lozenge. Yeah. You get this, you like the Z's. You're a big fan of the Z's sounds. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to cut all this out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You, you want to sign off again? And I'll say thank you. Yeah, you can edit that part. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> but okay. yeah, thank you again so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it. Yeah, if there's anything missing, let me know, and we'll jump back on here, and I'll I'll answer a question that gives you what what you might be missing. If there's anything you think like, oh, I think in this moment we're missing a discussion about love lights. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, we'll schedule a time for that that segment. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Perfect. All right. All right. Well, um, Thanks, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rory. Have a great rest of your day. Once again, that was Rory Ledbetter discussing our upcoming production of Legally Blonde, taking place October 29th through 31st in the Ford Center for the Performing Arts. I will put some information about the show and a link to buy tickets in the show notes, so be sure to check there and see how you can join us for this spectacular production. Up next, we'll have another interview about this show, so stay tuned, and until next time, this is Stage and Screen.